Lord, I know until we touch your heart, we're just the passerbys and can expect nothing from your hand. You'll let us watch. You'll let us listen. But nothing will come from your hand for us. I pray that you'll make this plain. And we pray in your name. Jesus. Amen. I began to notice something in my prayer life and in my everyday life that I would pray and nothing would happen. And I wondered why. God hears every prayer. God hears everything we say. He sees everything we do. But I watched as year after year I would pray and there would be no answer. And that led me into utter and absolute despair. It led me to a place of saying, does God even exist? Am I simply following the teaching of my parents and the teaching of the scriptures? But he deserted us. He left us. Because my prayers were never answered. Now there were times when it seemed that a divine hand moved on my behalf guiding, causing havoc in my life, causing me to be utterly cast aside by those I was trying to win for my political advantage. And it shouldn't have happened. So in my mind I was saying, was that God? Is he against me? Or is he for me? And if he's for me, why isn't he talking to me? For a period of years, this desperation and this hunger that was growing in my heart for God finally bubbled up in ripened despair. God, I'm going to die. And I began to see something very strange. That until I became serious enough about my desperate need to address God as a person and to address God with anguish of heart, there would be no response. But if the pressure grew to a point where there was anguish of heart on my behalf, God would suddenly step in and begin to answer with revelation knowledge, with the changing of circumstances. I was slow to catch on, but I began to see that there are many, including me, who used to follow Jesus because I was interested in his miracles, I was interested in his teachings, but after listening and watching, I went back to my life and continued trying to work out my life according to the agenda and the plans I had for my life. And Jesus didn't seem to pay any attention. It was almost as though I was welcome to come 
And I was welcome to go. And it didn't matter much to Jesus what I did. I didn't like that. I wanted it to matter to Jesus who I am. I wanted something personal and real with him. Have you ever gone to a workshop or been to a concert or been in a class and said to yourself, I'd like to meet that professor or I'd like to meet that pastor or I'd like to I'd like to know that person, but so do a thousand others. And so you can throng after him. You can even shake his hand. He can even hear your name. And then you with all the crowd leaves. And he doesn't say to you, hey, how about having dinner with me after the crowd goes? And you leave and you know that you were just one of the crowd. And there was nothing special between you and that person. In fact, they're not going to remember you. You're a face passing in the crowd. Jesus and the disciples, after the Gadarene experience in Mark, the fifth chapter, crossed over got out of the boat and there was a great multitude waiting for him and they made way for one of the rulers of the synagogue because he was a VIP and he was ushered through the crowd and he was brought to Jesus and when he came to Jesus he fell down at the feet of Jesus and he began to call on him earnestly saying my little daughter is at the point of death so that after having come, you may lay hands on her, that she may be healed and will live. And he went with him. And a great multitude was following along with him. And they were pressing on him. So the VIP is receiving VIP treatment. He's come making a request. He is a spiritual leader in the community. Jesus is respecting this spiritual leader in the community. He's being asked desperately, my daughter is sick and dying. Would you come lay hands on her? And he's fallen down on his face. Most people fell down on their face in front of this synagogue ruler. He, for the most part, did not fall down for anybody. But here he is, he's falling down on his face, and he touches the heart of of Jesus. Now please hear me. You do not touch the heart of Jesus until you get on your face before him. Until you humble your heart and get on your face before him. You do not come up to Jesus and say, hey, how you doing? 
Hey, Jesus, what's your day like? Hey, Jesus, you want to go out and have lunch today? No, you don't, you don't get anywhere with Jesus that way. If you want to touch his heart, you better get on your face in front of him. But I can guarantee you, you probably will not get on your face in front of him until your child is dying. Until there's some desperate need in your heart. Why would you get down on your face in front of another man? We're not accustomed to getting down on our face in front of anybody. We say, oh, by the way, could you help me with this? No, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Oh, okay, somebody else. Hey, can you help me with this? Yeah, all right. Equals speaking to equals. I'll help you, you help me. Doesn't work that way with Jesus. As long as you think you can manage what you're doing, Jesus will let you continue to manage it. And he's not going to take his time with you. Jesus is not interested in coming beside you to help you accomplish what you think you need to accomplish. He's not interested. That's not his agenda. You have to touch his heart if you want something from him. And what touches Jesus' heart is desperate need. There are two words for need for need in the scripture. The, the word most commonly used in the Greek means employment. It means hold. So need usually when it's used in the New Testament means I'm doing this because I have a need and so I'm going to work. That kind of need does not touch Jesus. You'll find that over here in Mark, the second chapter, verse 17. Jesus says to them, the one being strong have no need of a physician, but the ones having sickness... I came not to call righteous men, but sinners to repentance. That word for need. The one being strong have no need. No, they have a job. They can take care of themselves. There's no desperate situation that they're faced with. They've got their paycheck coming. They've got their strategy laid out. They know what they're going to do. And Jesus says, you don't need me. Now, it's fascinating to me that you go to some countries and miracles occur. Healings occur. Why don't they happen in America? Because we don't have that desperate need. We have a job. We have our insurance. We have our ways of taking care of business. So there's no real need. So you have a whole smorgasbord of options. And one of those options is talk to Jesus about it. But frankly, he's hard to get something out of when you've got five other things you can do. You know, if you have five other options, you're not going to get on your face before God and humble your heart and say, I'm going to die if you don't answer me. Why would he answer? You know, go to your next option. You don't need anything from me. And if ever there was a people in the world that has no need, it's the American people. 
It appears that we even have death taken care of so we know, oh, I'm going to be cremated, or no, I'm going to be this, or I'm going to be that, and I can pay for it in advance. I keep receiving these emails and these uh, suggesting you're now at an age where you begin to need to consider what you're going to do when you die. Would you like to prepay your burial plan? Are you kidding me? I'm not planning on dying. I'm planning on being translated. Jesus is coming. I don't need to pay for my funeral expenses. Just wait. You'll get there. I think something happens when you turn 70. Now you're the market. So usually in the scripture when the word need is used, it means employment and hold. Hold steady in your job. Work your plan. Plan your work. You got it covered. Now we come to this man. There's no one who can heal his daughter. He knows Jesus can heal her. He loves his daughter. He's desperate for her to live. It is now in a life-threatening stage. She is laying in bed. She is dying. He knows she's dying. And he can't stand the thought of living without his daughter. Daughters have a special way with daddies. They twist us around their fingers. You should see David with his daughter. She gets away with anything, but not with Mama. Mama says, no. Dad says, lighten up, Mama. I know I raised two daughters. And I've got lots of granddaughters. Seven of them. They've got me around their finger. I'll do anything for them. Well, this man could not stand the thought of living without his daughter. So all he can do is go and lay in the dirt before Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, come on, come on. Now, it's obvious that Jesus is tied up with a very important man. He is making his way with the crowd. Now, I want you to notice. Notice as we go through this story. The crowd is going to get nothing from Jesus. Because they had no need of getting anything from Jesus. They were along for the entertainment. They wanted to hear what was said. They wanted to talk about it. Do you suppose he's going to heal this girl? Wow, let's go see. Have a big car accident. What happens? People come out of the woodwork. They're curious. They want to see what's going on. And they're talking, talking, talking. Did you see it? What's happening? Who was hurt? They died? And then they go home and watch their television. Or they go home and get dinner. They're untouched. They watched it all. But it didn't touch them. And they didn't get anything out of it. Some of you came to church today. Are you going to get something here? Or are you part of the crowd? 
Now, there was a woman there who was unclean. She had a flow of blood. And in that culture, blood flow meant unclean. A constant woman having her period, unclean. And she knew she had to come up behind Jesus because she didn't want to be seen. And that was where the crowd was the heaviest and the thickest. It doesn't say so, but I'm guessing she used her elbows. She forced her way through that crowd. Now maybe it wasn't as hard as we think because maybe there was blood on her clothes. And if there was blood on their clothes, things opened up pretty quick. Because they didn't want any blood on them. Because then they'd be unclean. She'd been sick for 12 years. She'd been to every doctor that could be suggested. She'd tried every remedy that was possible. And she had only gotten worse and worse and worse. And she knew she was going to die. She was going to bleed out. She was probably desperately anemic. She was sick. And she was dying. She made her way through that crowd with desperate haste. Saying to herself, verse 28, in fact, she was continuing to say, in the Greek, it is the continuing action. She was saying to herself over and over and over, if I can just touch his garment, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. If I can just touch his garment. She was not mature enough to say, Okay, I'm going to stand by faith that if I touch this garment, I'm healed. And then stand by faith. No, no, she wasn't anywhere near that mature. All she could say was over and over, I'm going to touch him and I'm going to get healed. I'm going to touch him and I'm going to get healed as she got an elbow in the face. She fought her way through that crowd. A strong man probably would not have fought his way through that crowd because he would have been too impolite to have shoved someone aside. This woman was coming through like a bulldozer. She knew she had one chance to live. It wasn't that she wanted to be saved. Understand, she wasn't coming to be converted. She just had a desperate need. And Jesus is always touched in his heart by a person who has an acknowledged desperate need. She'd heard about Jesus. She'd heard about his miracles. And she said, why not me? You know, she could have said, I'm too weak, I can't make it. She could have said, you know, come on, it's hopeless, I'm done. But maybe she had a wife and kids, or a husband and kids. Maybe, maybe she had people depending on her. It doesn't say. I pray that in your heart today, There is a desperate, hungry cry that said, I'm going to get to Jesus. Because if I don't, I'm going to die. She didn't want to have any attention. She was ashamed. She was embarrassed. Do you notice the similarity between her stance and Jairus's stance. They both humbled their hearts. Don't expect to get anything from Jesus. 
until you have a need and until you humble your heart. She touched his garment. She reached out. Maybe it was even between a couple people. She just reached out and felt his garment. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she knew in her body, verse 29, that she had been healed from the illness. And then comes this amazing statement. And immediately, Jesus, having fully known in himself the power having gone out of him. Let's just stop a minute. Jesus did not focus attention on this woman and then say, okay, I will heal you. All it took to move the heart of Jesus and to tap into the power of God was a desperate need and a humble heart. That's all it took. She did not have to argue that he should heal her. She didn't have to fight with him. All she needed was a desperate need and a humble heart. And reach out and touch him. You don't always have to have Jesus touch you. You can touch him. I'm sentimental. I always want Jesus to come and touch me. But in a healthy, loving relationship, one person doesn't do all the touching. Two people have to touch. And she reached out and touched him. And he knew power flowed from the divine core. She was healed. And he turned around and he said, who touched my garment? Who touched my clothes? Now listen to this. And his disciples, in verse 31, were saying to him, You see the multitude around you, and you say, Who touched me? His disciples were still clueless. They had no idea that they were walking and rubbing against the power dynamo of God himself. The disciples of Jesus were part of the crowd because they didn't need anything from Jesus. And they had not humbled their hearts. You can come into this place today and you can leave and get nothing from this message And nothing from today. You can be like one of the disciples of Jesus. Another worship service. The only thing that will change and make today something worthwhile for you is if you are finally willing to admit the desperate need of your heart and you're willing to humble your heart. I tell you today, I need Jesus. And I feel like all week I've been jamming through the crowd trying to get close enough to him. Hi, Patrick. I feel like I've been trying to get close enough to Jesus to touch him. 
I've tried to touch him for you, for this church. I've tried to touch him for some of you specifically who are desperately in need of the healing of Jesus. I've tried to touch him for my own desperate, desperate need. I've been singing this song. I need thee. Every hour I need thee. And then I'll stop singing that song for me and I'll start saying, Ed needs you. David needs you. And I started putting your names in the song. And then it comes back to, I need you, Jesus. I'm going to die if you don't touch me. I need you, Jesus. Now the woman, having been afraid and trembling, having understood what had happened to her, came and and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said to her, daughter, do you understand? He just claimed a woman with an issuance of blood as his family, no longer part of the crowd. Jesus is going to remember this woman. She's now his daughter. She now has Jesus wrapped around her finger. There isn't anything Jesus would not do for this woman. What brought her into the family of God? Her desperate crying need. Her recognition of her sickness. Her recognition that she was powerless. That she'd been to everybody else. It was a failure. She couldn't get anything. She was dying. And she humbled her heart. And the power of God flowed. But the love of God also flowed. Because he called her daughter. He made her family. Remember what he said to the five foolish virgins? Depart from me, I never knew you. The only way you get to be known by God is a desperate need. If there is no desperate anguish of heart for you to know God, you'll never know him. You'll be part of the crowd. He'll never say daughter. He'll never say son. There has to be those hours of weeping before Almighty God, of crying out, of acknowledging that you can't do your job, that you can't heal your son, you can't do whatever it is your heart is crying out for, you can't save your parents, you can't save your child. There has to be a crying out. You can't save your marriage. You can't transform. There has to be a desperate need on your part where you stop playing Mr. and Mrs. Cool. We stop pretending that you've got it all under control. Until that desperate need becomes real and you then humble your heart before God and you wait upon Him, you will never be called my son or my daughter. You'll never be family with God. And the highest aspect of this, until you recognize the wickedness of your heart and know that if God does not open the gates of righteousness to you, you are going to die. That you're totally dissatisfied with your own works. You're dissatisfied with your own attempts 
to clean yourself up. You have to have the blood of Jesus. Until you recognize that, you're going to die a part of the crowd. And you'll never be brought into the family of God. Now, trust. Trust is earned. It is never given. Trust with God is earned. Do you know what earns trust with God? Desperate need in humbling your heart. That's it. As long as you think that you are the man. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, I know what's in all men. I'm not going to trust myself to them. Why? He knows what's in a man. That a man is conniving, has his own program. He just wants a little help here and there. Jesus is not in the business of offering a little help here and there. Then the word comes. Verse 35. While he was still speaking. They came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying, Your daughter died. Why still trouble the teacher? Can you imagine Jairus? He's trying to move Jesus as quickly as he can through this crowd. And this woman comes and interrupts with her flow of blood. You think you get mad when a car cuts you off and goes slow in front of you? I think Jairus must have been climbing out of his skin. But because he needs so desperately, he's not going to say a word. But I'm guessing he's going like this. Come on. Come on. Get out of the way. My daughter's dying. And word comes, your daughter's dead. It's over. Now please hear me. Nothing is over until Jesus says it's over. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what it tastes like. Nothing is over until Jesus says it's over. Now these people are saying, don't trouble Jesus any longer. Like the God of the universe can't raise from the dead. But it wasn't in their experience. They'd seen someone get well. They'd never seen one come from the dead. They believed their experience. Have you ever said, Jesus, it's over. I can't go any further. I'm at a dead end. It's done. Just let me die. I've had it. I'm finished here. No, you're not finished. And it's not done until Jesus says it's done. And some of you today may be in a place where you're saying, it is over. I am done. I am out of here. No, you're not. Not till Jesus says it's over. Jesus has over and over brought me into a place of absolute finality, 
and I see no possible way through. I remember when I was a kid, my dad would take us out, Colorado, Wyoming, he would go hiking with us, or we would get on horseback and we would go. And you go down in a canyon. And we would say, Daddy, it's a box canyon. There's no way out. See, you can look up ahead. It's a box canyon. We better turn and go back. And he would say, no, just be patient. He'd bring us all the way to the end of that canyon, to the canyon wall. And there would be a small cut through that canyon wall. And we'd go right on through. Daddy, did you know that was there? Of course. Why do you think I came all this way? See, today you may be in the end of a box canyon and you may think it's over. No, it's not. Your daughter died. Why still trouble the teacher? But Jesus, hearing these words spoken, says to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. See, believe is not worth anything to a man who can see with his eyes. Believing is only of value when it looks like it's over. Now, he didn't let anybody come in with him. He didn't let all the disciples come in. It was only Peter, James, and John. He goes into the house. He observes the commotion, the weeping, the loud wailing. And he says to them, why are you troubled and weep? The child did not die, but just sleeps. And they scorn him. They laugh at him. They stop crying. These are professional paid criers. They've got, they've got money coming as long as this child is dead. In your life, you're going to have people who will profit by your failure. Don't listen to them. It's the word of Jesus that matters. Now he says, verse 41, having taken the hand of the child, he says to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl arose and she was walking around. She was 12 years old. And Jesus knows what a 12-year-old girl is like. Give her something to eat. Give her something to eat. Now, there's another word in the Greek that's much less used, meaning need. found in the book of Hebrews the fourth chapter we'll begin reading in verse 14 Hebrews the fourth chapter beginning in verse 14 having then a great high priest having passed through the heavens Jesus the son of God Let us hold fast our confession. Now we do not have a high priest not able to sympathize with our infirmities, but having been tested in all things according to the likeness of our nature apart from sin. 
May we come near then to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. In the Greek, in time is literally well-timed. In other words, we're facing a crisis. It is time-sensitive. If God does not come and deliver us, we're going to die. The word is well-timed. God times everything perfectly according to his schedule and never according to mine. I like a nice margin of safety. I want him to come before it becomes a crisis. I want him to come before I die so he doesn't have to resurrect me. I'm sure if Lazarus had any complaint, it would have been, why did you let me die? Why didn't you come while I was still feeling halfway decent? And then notice, well-timed, time of need. That word need means frapping a ship. Frapping a ship. It's a technical word. Do you know what frapping a ship is? <laughs> It means the sailors, before they leave port, knowing that they are going into heavy water, take a chain or chains or a powerful rope and they tie it around the hull so that the hard storm does not smash the hull and sink them. Literally, May we receive mercy and find grace in the time of the heavy waters that are going to kill us. May you come and frap my life so that I don't break up in pieces and drown. That's the kind of need I have. Does that describe any need in your life? You're not sure you can make it through this deal. Then ask God to come and frap your life. To bind it with his ropes so that you won't come apart in the storm. That the sea will not destroy you. Oh, today, I need Jesus. I need Jesus to come and bind my life up so that I don't perish in the storm. I'm telling you now, by faith, I'm going through. I'm not heading for a safe port. I'm going to go through. And I'm going to trust Jesus to Frap my life so that I don't come apart and drown in the storm that's facing me. I can't face going to radio this week. I can't face coming to this little fellowship. I have no strength. I have nothing except Jesus. And the frapping he does on my weak body and soul. Tying me up. Making me secure in the storm. If he doesn't do that, I drowned. So let's review. You touch the heart of Jesus. When you have a desperate need. 
And when you're willing to humble yourself and you ask him then in your great need to come and tie up securely the parts of your life that are about to be destroyed that you could safely go through. This usually happened on ships that are about at their end. And they know that the master has put high insurance on the ship so that if it sinks, it doesn't matter. But their life is involved. So before they go to sea, without even telling their master, they frap the ship because they want to come home safely. Well, I can tell you today, when you begin to ask God to open the gates of righteousness for your life, you're in for some heavy water. And you better have your life frapped. You better have the chains of God's love wrapped tightly around you so your life doesn't fall apart. Because you're going to go through some heavy water. Mighty God. I need my life. Wrapped. Securely with your arms. With your chains of love. Or I'm going to, I'm going to perish in this sea. I have asked for the gates of righteousness to be opened for my life. And I have said I will receive only from your hand what you choose to give me. And Lord, I don't see any way through. In my personal life, in the life of this church, in the ministry of the word on the air, I don't see any way through. I don't see any production. I don't see any success. I just see the high waves crashing, covering. Lord, I need you. America needs you. Come, Lord Jesus. Heal our broken hearts. I pray in your holy name. Amen.